0: Hello and welcome to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do work for clients and not companies. To receive your complimentary and personalized financial income plan, give us a call 513-575-9654. If you're seeking advice on old 401k, 403b, some type of employer-sponsored plan, perhaps even an NUA analysis before you decide doing that fateful IRA rollover, give us a call 513-575-9654. Our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester and Florence. Greg.
1: Well, today's show, we're going to be discussing financial planning rules of thumb and are they worth using? So, One thing's for sure, you need to beware of financial planning myths and these uh, generalized rules of thumb when you design your own personal plan. That's something we take in consideration is, you know, um, fact over fiction. You always hear about financial planning rules of thumb. Uh, One that comes to mind is the 4% withdrawal rule. You may have heard of it. You may have planned on the back of a napkin this way for your own retirement purposes. Um, Or another one is the 80% of pre-retirement income rule. You know, kind of pattern that whatever you're making the last couple years of your career path and work, that that salary at 80% would be an appropriate amount of income to target into retirement. Well, regardless, it's important to have a track to run on when it comes to this retirement planning process. And that's what we provide in a process, is just that. So we want to exercise as we move along a little bit of caution here, right? Putting too much weight in any one of the financial planning rules could put you out of balance. Put the emphasis uh, of your plan on something that's uh, eh, that's not as uh, built upon rock, you know, more on sand. So, how well do some of these rules that many folks are familiar with and and try to work with? How well do they actually work? Would they work for all shapes and sizes? Well, we already know by the you know the stating that question in such a way that the answer is probably not. Then why do so many people use these just default de facto rules as if it's going to be the right? recipe you know for them so for you in your personal situation we need to make sure that the plan matches up with your needs and the appropriate planning method along with that so quite frankly one rule of thumb may work better for you than it might someone else and vice versa so today we're going to talk about a few common rules of thumb you know we see it out there in the marketplace in the industry we read it in the magazines you see it on the, the internet so that must be true right and how do you know if it has the merit that you need for your plan and, again, your personal situation? James?
0: Well, here's some thought-provoking questions to tie into today's show. So, for starters, what are some of the maybe the good, better, best ways to determine how much you need to retire? Here's a hint. It has to do with budgeting. has to do with controlling your spending habits. Do you really need at least a million dollars to retire comfortably? Maybe that's the key word, comfortably. Maybe... It's more, maybe it's less. How does the 100 age rule work? What's the best way, again, is there a best way to determine how much, as in what percentage of money you should have invested in stocks and bonds? Maybe think of that as the allocation, your risk allocation. Stocks to bonds is the traditional way of saying, well, if I'm, say, for example, a balanced investor, maybe it's a 60-40 allocation of stocks to bonds. Maybe that applies to today. Maybe it does not. What types of assets should be owned in a portfolio as a hedge against inflation? What should I do or what should we do to focus on as far as paying off debt and saving for retirement? And again, different types of debt. Some are more constructive than others. We'll get to that throughout the show. Could I get by on only, I say only, 70 to 80% of the working income that we had when we're in retirement? So maybe it's a conversion issue when you say percentages to dollars. So, for example, 4%, 4% of what? 80% of something? Well, 80% of what? How dramatically could the expenses change over time? And again, part of that, uh, I'd say, factor, maybe a major factor, that would be what's the rate of inflation? And the rate of inflation, when you say overall rate of inflation, versus individually for different sectors or different types of expenses, such as the medical rate of inflation versus – Prices of food, eggs, and milk. When picking investments, how much reliance should I have on the track record? The past performance, is it a guarantee or an indicator of future results? How about market timing? How about don't try to do market timing because usually that results in you chasing returns instead of the capturing of the returns. And could adhering to pick a number, whether it's 4% or 3% for the withdrawal rule, Keep me or we, the us, from running out of money prior to running out of life.
1: You know, you you skipped across several of those. um, Just market timing triggers in my mind the three do not do's. And that, as you mentioned, you know, track record investing, no, no. Uh, Chasing returns, no. Lucky stock picking and market timing, no, no, no. However, people do it all the time. And then one of the worst things that can happen, James, is they have some luck with it, right? It gives a false sense of confidence, and I, I, I would say even competence in some area that is, uh, for many people, not their area of strength. They do what you know they do. You all out there have your, your professions, and the things you've arrived at doing quite well and are known for, and, you know, frankly, this is what we do, and we will come to you when we have a need for your service and not try to do it ourselves. And we think that you should consider doing the same. Come to us in this area that is so broadly um, provided for. We're holistic advisors. Okay? We handle estate planning, investment management, investments, income planning, uh, social security maximization, pension maximization, insurance, financial planning. All of it brought together, uh, like we say each week, similar to the Mayo Clinic of Financial Services. And that's important. That synergy is something that will help you in the distribution phase of your life rather than this accumulation phase. But while you're out there just trying to, uh, you know, file through, rummage through different concepts and ideas as you try to put together uh, the puzzle pieces of what you want to be the picture box of your retirement, we know that we need to do some myth busting together today. And we need to check in on some of these rules of thumb because they come from a variety of sources. You know, the financial planning rules of thumb that just permeate uh, TV, media, Again, you know, journals, money magazines, all across media. And one of the most fascinating things, if you ever catch a CNBC episode, there's there's a person that gives you three bullets in three minutes that are all bearish. And you're thinking, hmm, well, that's compelling. Gosh, it looks pretty bad out there. And then it's just the next person is all bullish with three points and all the reasons why the other person is just all wrong. And you're thinking, well, that, that's a good perspective, too. I can certainly gravitate towards that. And then as you walk away to get your coffee and you're ready for the next program, you're thinking, what was the takeaway there? It's, does anyone know what they're doing? Well, here's what we don't know. We don't know what the market's going to do next. Exactly. And all of what's known, all of the known is factored into current prices in the market. So only something unknowable could change that. Now, if you know someone that knows the unknowable, please introduce us to them, but we're going to stick with planning the fundamentals, the way to be prepared for any of the outcomes so that your plan stays on track like a train. Yeah, there'll be some bumps here and there, but you will stay on track and you'll head to the horizon and you will arrive to the depot that is your happy place in retirement. So as we look at the track record of some of these, these rules of thumb, we're going to kick the tires a bit. And like James said, do you need a million dollars to retire? People throw out numbers that uh, can't really be backed up, but anytime I hear a million dollars, James, I think about a broker, and I think about that dark humor out there that if you would like a million dollars in retirement with a broker, you better start with two. Yeah, it it drops dead flat, right? Because this is your money. This is your future. This is important, serious stuff, and how many do-overs will you get? How many times have you retired? How much experience do you have in doing this? And I know you learned as many of us to accumulate over the years, did your best to make some income, pay your bills, and try to save something too for this day that's approaching cold retirement. And I hope you're doing well with that. We'd like to help you. We'd like to show you where you need to be so you can fill in the gap appropriately to arrive where you need to be so it's all good. But this distribution phase is a phase you don't get to until you're there. And then you got to make it work. you got to take all the money you ever made, ever saved, And now somehow you got to turn it into income that's going to last as long as you do. How long is that? James, some thoughts.
0: Well, I would, I would say this when, when we, it's, I know it's easy to say and tougher to do, which is take your emotions out of your investment decisions. Yes. It's, it's easy for us to sit here from the outside looking in and say, well, don't worry about it. And for the person who's actually worrying about it, it's like, okay, thanks for saying that now I'm not going to worry. It's like, no, we we know that human emotions get in the way of our investing decisions, good investing decisions. But here's something else that ties into emotions. If you're watching the stock market every single day and you seem to be living or dying on what the market does today or this week, that's maybe an indicator that you're at too much market risk. So one way to cool off your market risk is not have all of your money at market risk. You can have other investments out there. There are other ways to make gains on your money without having it be at stock market risk. There's there's more. There's much more. We're going to cover this after the commercial break, but our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. LLC. Brown Financial Advisors and Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors are affiliated companies and may only transact business in those states in which registered or were otherwise legally permitted.
1: Welcome back to the Sound Many Investment Show with Brown Financial
0: Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are an independent RIA. We do work for clients and not companies. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com, email team at Brown Home offices in Milford, but also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg?
1: Well, continuing with our financial planning rules of thumb, and are they worth using? So stepping back a little bit, what is a definition of what we're talking about here, James?
0: Well, this is taken from Investopedia. Rule of thumb is an informal piece of practical advice providing simplified rules that apply in most situations. So there's many different rules of thumb in finance that give guidance on how much to save, how much to pay for a house, how much to invest, etc. But maybe here's the point. Rules of thumb are not scientific and they also don't take into account your individual circumstances. So for the general public, for the masses, this is what rules of thumb are all about. But for individual advice, that's where you need to come see someone such as us. You know,
1: James, I was just thinking how damaging or consequential can the outcome be by misapplying a rule? You have a, a basically a, a good rule, but applied to the wrong situation. Well, it could be anywhere from a, a little harmful to um, very catastrophic, you know, like how bad is it if you're supposed to have a kidney removed, but they end up taking the wrong one uh, all the way to, they take a leg and not a kidney and still need to take the kidney. I mean, that's a harsh example, but you get the idea. Application for the right purpose makes the most sense. Now, we're going to lighten it up a little bit and share some examples of things you can hardly hurt yourself by. They're kind of good for everyone. I was everyone.
0: going to say the kidney example, usually that's why in the hospital they draw a big X on which side they're going to take it from. But, you know, sometimes accidents occur.
1: If your grandparent and your grandchildren come visit you before the procedure and they happen to have um, markers, <laughs> you just look out. You just You just don't know. Anyway, some examples of some rules of thumb that might be just good for everyone generally. One is pay yourself first. Save at least at least five percent, preferably ten to fifteen percent of your take-home pay, leading up to retirement, so you can build that nest egg. We know that most folks, as they turn age fifty and heading for sixty and whatever thereafter uh, plateau where they, they you know level off and enter retirement, they're they're arriving at more of their um, highest earning years. You know, somewhere along the way, they became empty nesters. Uh, money goes further. Yeah, they travel a little bit, but they get serious about this retirement. Just like you probably realize when you're crossing in your 30s and approaching your 40s, that the sense of mortality becomes increasingly real to you. As you get closer to retirement, this thing becomes more real to you also. Paying down high interest rate debt. Spend less on the interest by paying down the debt that costs you the most. Now, that's snowball. We call avalanche, you know, in a lot of people have different names for it, but you're in essence knocking out one you know, amount of debt, taking the payment that went towards that, combining it with the payment for the other payments that are due targeting the next one and the next one and so forth until you just have a large amount of money to target the remaining debts until they just, they just go away. So that's a nice approach. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense uh, just doing it. You know, so many things in life can make perfect sense and, Intending on doing it and actually doing it can, can be two different things. I mean, how many of us know that uh, losing weight is really a function of eating less and moving more? You know, exercise. It is literally that simple. Or is it? You know what I mean? Creating a safety net. You should have an emergency fund equal to three to six months worth of household expenses. Now, you could have um, a couple months of that, literally, in more cash-like instruments. And you could have another three or four months of the six uh, in liquid investments at low risk, they don't have to just be setting mothballed, waiting for some event that might never happen. Uh, like so many uh, worries and concerns we have in life, how many times have you lost sleep worrying about something that just never, ever came to fruition? And I know for me, it's, it's far more things I worry about than actually become uh, worry-worthy.
0: Well, the point of the safety net is it should be liquid. It should not be tied up into a long-term investment. Yes, doesn't mean it can't be
1: invested just liquid and not long-term. So tracking your spending only makes sense. Also uh, a lot of folks are blessed enough financially to not have to get down to tracking spending or having a proverbial budget, but we all know we'd be more efficient if we did. I mean, it's good if you don't have to, but as you approach retirement, it is good. as kind of like a test drive to do just that track your expenses, arrive at some form of a budget, see just how much of your, um, your wage-based income you're going to need what percentage in retirement? You've already heard here: 70, 75, 80 percent are some of those rules. So if you were making 100,000 on average, a couple years before retirement, then maybe you can live on 70,000 going forward, because out of the 100,000 you probably had contributions and you know some job-related expenses, uh, travel back and forth, gas, things that will smooth out and go down and be reduced. So you may very well already be living off this smaller number in reality but track your spending, track those inflows and outflows. Now others will say, what if I don't, I don't need to live on a fixed income. Well, I hear you. Uh, You might be in a situation where it's not technically that you're entering into a fixed income reality when you retire, but I'd suggest that everyone, whether you have more fixed income to deal with or work with or less, when you start uh, working on a monthly basis without earned income, Money coming in every month, new money coming in every month. Then everyone, to some extent, is on a fixed income in retirement. So there's no harm, no foul in just getting more efficient at it uh, for a whole lot of reasons. And, and efficiency can mean we'll figure out which buckets of money you take to provide income, what sources of investments are best for provision of income versus growth and appreciation, uh, which methods are more tax efficient so the money you take out you get to keep and not give away to the, you know, the government in uh, all the government, I mean Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, um, city county uh, property considerations on property tax, um, my goodness, don't forget Uncle Sam, the big federal number, and so forth. A home purchase should cost less than an amount equal to two years of your annual income. So if your annual income is a hundred, then maybe then technically by some kind of rule, two hundred thousand would be the, the target price for the home you should live in. Now that may or may not work depending on some real estate markets and appreciation. I think we're seeing real estate kind of turnover. There's going to be increase in inventory, less competition out there fighting and buying over those limited properties where they're selling at a inflated rate. So it looks like there's a good season coming at least for the, for the buyer, a little tougher for the seller, right? Life insurance have at least five times your gross salary and in life insurance death benefit. Uh, if it's suitable, do you need life insurance? First of all, then how much and for what reason. But just generally speaking, if you arrive at about five times, so back to the 100000 a year, that would mean $500,000. Because when it pays, it's going to pay tax free. So that gives it even more horsepower to be applied to whatever circumstance or situation is needing more cash at the time of you uh, stepping off the planet. The stock market, the long-term average return is, is, I was just looking at it the other day, even with the current downturn in the market uh, year to date, I think the S&P through uh, yesterday midday was like 9.93% over 20 years. So this 10% number isn't too far off. But the problem with just being in a market, say index like the S&P and, you know, be a Ben Stein kind of person when it comes to investing is, yeah, you might get that return over time if you can stay in the saddle, but you might get bucked off the horse because of volatility because it's too hot for you to be in certain investments. Even if they average that, you've got to be in it 20 years. get it. And what happens is that same index that sounds so sweet at approaching 10% over long periods of time, it's the same index that can plummet 50 plus percent in some of the worst times. And that can be a problem without planning and proper uh, appropriate diversification and, and, and deploying the right investments for the right purpose at the right risk. That's really the solution there. But life insurance can become something very helpful. When we look at the stock market average, now apply it to, let's say, based on a balanced portfolio of 60% stocks, uh, 40% bonds. Historically, it's been pretty good up until the, the interest rates went up, the bond values went down, and they became very toxic as an investment and volatile, similar to their brother or sister, the stock market. Stocks are more volatile than bonds, but both became and have become very volatile year to date. But historically speaking, a retirement portfolio oftentimes fares pretty well in good and bad times on a working average, so long as you don't get greedy. And we see this all the time. You go through a couple years of a bullish move, and people just become dissatisfied with their 60-40 portfolio because they want more. So they get in a little deeper in the pool until they're just flat out in the deep end of the pool. And then what do we know happens? Markets pivot, change, and go the other direction. And where are you? Someplace you don't belong. Someplace you can't stay you react emotionally, and you make bad decisions at the worst time. What do I mean by that? Well, we see people sell at bottoms. It gets too hot in the kitchen, they run out of the kitchen, and they miss time where they should be in different market cycles. Uh, We'll come back to some of these. We have a couple of these rules with them that just wouldn't hurt you and could help you. Before we look at some of those, that can be misapplied.
0: All So stay with us. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Again, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned, you're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station.
1: Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown.
0: And I'm James Borth and We are an independent registered investment advisory firm. We do work for clients and not companies. And it really does all start with a plan. That means actually having a plan knowing what you own and why you own it. So whether you're seeking advice on an old 401k, 403b, IRA rollover, investment planning, retirement planning, income planning, tax planning, social security maximization, Roth conversion analysis, NUA analysis, perhaps even for some an in-service rollover, all that and more we can help, 513-575-9654. Our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com, email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com, our home office is in Milford, but we also have some locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence, y'all. Well, covering some of those rules of
1: thumb and are they worth using, we were going over a few that can be positive to about anyone uh, leading up to retirement. And um, one thing we just had mentioned, something about a balanced portfolio historically being about 60-40 and a you know, moderate, uh, leaning slightly towards equities, towards some growth. We don't want to see you on the fence. 50-50 is kind of like being on the fence um, you need to decide to succeed on purpose for your future. And that means to overcome inflation and provide for your needs too, I really do suggest you lean in a little bit further on the equity side because you get the benefit of dividends in good times and bad times. You get the, the most uh, reward in terms of capital appreciation, expansion of your wealth over long periods of time. And um, it just, it's nicely liquid. I could go on. But so what is the percentage for you or someone else? In, on an individual basis, well, you could apply a rule of 100, or let's say 110, if you're a little more, um, let's see, um, optimistic, or risk-taking, or adventuresome or more seasoned as an investor relative to stocks in the market, and it, you know you, you're a little have a little more spine in it for um, what markets can do. So your age represents, in this case, the percentage of bonds you would hold in a portfolio. So if someone was, uh, let's say, 65 guess what? The bond or fixed income or the non-stock allocation. And we have a lot of options to replace bonds, bond alternatives that may actually be better functionally uh, for this purpose. But just conceptually here, the safer side of your portfolio would equal your age, 65% at age 65. 45 would be the equities. Now that means you don't water down the other 45%. You're all in equities hopefully actively managed with a bias of selection towards the best companies, the best stocks, the best market cap, best opportunities, best sectors, um, growing, increasing dividends year over year. They have it going on. And our bias is towards the better companies, not the less good and not the bad. Active management can give you um, kind of a friend in your corner by applying different metrics to actually own the good stuff on purpose. Now, again, it's an imperfect world, so none of this is perfect. But you can be you know, close enough to perfect, like Alabama. Remember, close enough to perfect for me. There is a 110 version of that. So now in that case, you would just take, in in essence, um, it'll just end up with more equities. 110 minus your age gives you a larger portion that would be on the equity side. Now your age from 100, if you'll subtract your age from 100, conversely, that's how much you have in stocks. So again, if, if your age is 65 and you take 100 minus 65, leaving that that. Forty thirty-five. You'd have the thirty-five in the stocks. So, so many options. Uh, even just saying sixty percent equity, and then saying out loud forty percent bonds. Don't think we just pack people in bonds on that forty percent side. There are defensive um, alternatives. There are inverse alternatives. We have some buffered index portfolios that that can give you a, a certain part of the upside of a market, and it can absorb a certain portion of the downside and give you a nice range uh, to operate in to reduce your direct risk in the market while still participating in the market without having to hide out in annuities, but annuities properly used from a good source like us, you know, where we're financial fiduciaries and put your interest first and it can't be about commission. So you get a better product that pays you the feature benefit and and not, you know, an entity or agency uh, such commissions. But here, here here's some rates for you to be aware of. There's at least One rate I saw on a fixed index annuity that would allow you to participate in 65% of the S&P's upside over a one-year period, S&P 500. So 65% of the upside. And in a downside, zero is your hero. There is no downside. So it's true. You wouldn't be out there getting 100% of the market return, but you would conversely not be getting any of the downside of bear market corrections or going backwards. So those are out there. And um, I know interest rates are changing, and and so check with us all the time. But just as an example of another alternative, say even a bond alternative, um, CD-type annuities, also known as fixed annuities that have shorter terms, like three years, five years, we have a 4.65% rate on a five-year product now. And so if you're just someone that sits on a lot of cash or keeps it in CDs or money markets with very little interest, um, these rates pretty much knock the socks off the banks and what they're offering. So if that's you and you have some interest, check with us on the current rates. They may or may not be that. They might be higher because the Fed increased a little bit more.
0: And if five years is too long, three years is more of what's in your strike zone, that would be more like 4.3%. So maybe that's the sweet spot is 4.3 over three years, each year again for three years versus the four six five for five years. So everyone has their little strike zone or their sweet spot about what is what they're willing to accept or what they want to have. Now, a couple of closing thoughts on this as far as different rules of thumb. One is on the rule of 100 or the rule of 110. And for those that are still working, typically this results in something like either a target date fund or a life cycle fund. And a lot of times what happens is you get put into one of these that's like a default selection for your 401k. So that's, you know, in the absence of choosing anything else, that's actually a good alternative because, As your life cycles towards retirement, you get progressively more and more conservative is what the target date funds are all about. And then also back to the paying yourself first. This is specifically for those who are in like the gig economy or they're independent contractors or self-employed. Take advantage of the different rules that the IRS, the government has out there, which is starting your own retirement plan, either a solo 401k or a SEP IRA. Administration-wise, maybe the SEP's is a little bit easier to manage, easier also to make contributions to, and it also does not eliminate contributing to both, this is for some out there, not for everyone, to both a SEP IRA and a regular IRA, both in the same year. So the regular IRA would be your traditional IRA or your Roth IRA, depending upon your income level, your tax status, and what's applicable in your situation. So that's a really effective way to turbocharge your retirement, especially for those who are self-employed.
1: So all good points, all more on the favorable side, things that can, you can do to kind of help yourself out. Now, the other side of the coin would be some of the things that uh, you need to examine more carefully, like saving 10% of your income rule. If you don't know how much to save, sure, it's better to save 10% of your income than nothing at all. It's a great starting place. But the reality is uh, some have already saved enough, some have uh, inherited or in the process of inheriting uh, enough money, but others may need to save far more than 10%. So relying just on that uh, won't get them to the right place. So if we're working together to just project a plan, you'll know what you need. And if you have it, if you're on the right course and if it's just about better investing styles and being more tax savvy and efficient and, and getting a, a spouse who's a little weaker on the subject of finance up to speed so that they can be part of the quarterbacking in the huddle, if something happens with you and you go down before the game's over all those are very good reasons. Um, and you, there's just plenty of reasons to do the right thing here. But if you're falling behind and don't know it, the plan will show you the degree of gap you have, how much money you need to increase in saving to arrive at the right number to make it all work. Using your age as that sole determinant of your stock bond allocation, you know, like the rule of 100. Um, there theory goes when you're trying to figure out how much of your money to invest in stocks versus bonds. You kind of use your age. We talked about that, 100 minus your age. If you're 60, and that would be 40% in equity, 60% in safer solutions. Uh, I, I, bonds have not proven to be so safe this year. I get it, but over the longer period of time, they are the safer asset class between the two, that being bonds versus equities, which are stocks. So arriving at the right allocation, but your age would be that amount that you'd invest, again, in the conservative portion, but whatever calculation I just kind of you know spilled on the table here, it may not be the right one for you. You might be in a position where you can uh, be far more in stocks by different strategies, some providing some income, some providing capital appreciation and growth over time, hedging inflation, being liquid in case things pop up over the course of life. Um, or you might just need to be in a larger portion of a variety of safer solutions because your risk tolerance has changed over the years. You recognize that sequence of returns can be your enemy. If bear markets hit uh, in the first couple of years of your entering into retirement, what be, was seeming to be enough resource ends up to be mathematically far insufficient. So what are some alternatives to keep you safer and growing your money on some part of your money? The theory, this whole for world 100 theory gained some popularity when the 401k accounts first came into the scene and, and people had to decide somehow how to transition retirement and grow their money and also use their money to pay themselves the cash flow over time because they
0: entered a new world
1: of, a world mostly without pensions. So again,
0: rules of thumb for the general public, for the masses, but maybe not necessarily applicable in your individual situation. There's more. There's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us we can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC.
1: The talk station.
0: Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do it for clients, not companies. That's Main Street and not Wall Street. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Our home office is in Milford, but we have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg?
1: Well, James, we've talked about income replacement in retirement. What's the target income someone needs to have so they'll have enough cash flow when they enter retirement?
0: Well, as a rule, 70 to 80% of your working income in retirement to live comfortably. And again, keyword there perhaps is comfortably. Now, on the converse, you might also look at that and say, are you really willing to accept a 20 to 30% reduction in your standard of living? That's one way of looking at it. Maybe your expenses are still as high. Maybe they're even higher. Statistically, there's that word, statistics. There's a prevalence of people who actually have greater expenses in the first several years of retirement than they had during their working years. It typically is like a wave that goes up, and then after they've had their fun, then it starts going back down again. So about two to five years after retirement is when we see people start Maybe cutting back on their spending.
1: How'd you like that sound effect? If you've got the wrong income figure entering retirement, it's a 911 situation.
0: Here's another way of looking at that. Maybe every day is a Saturday, or what seems like every day is a Saturday, right? So, what do people spend usually their weekends doing, which is enjoying the weekends, spending money perhaps on the weekends? So, what are you going to do with your time in retirement? Are you going to travel? Do you have different expensive hobbies that you're going to be partaking in? Is it golf? Is it boating? Is it pickleball? It doesn't really have to be necessarily anything that's overly expensive, but nevertheless, it will be somewhat expensive. And maybe the bottom line point about all of this is that discretionary spending is still spending. So if you have a discretionary life, it's going to cost some money. Where does that come from as far as part of your budget or is it part of your budget? And yes, because of this, many people really do and, and should front load their income plan in those first two to five years after retirement. You know, live it up while you're still young is what we hear people say, or relatively young is what they say. So other considerations, this is when you say, well, this is this is maybe the not so fun things that we need to spend money on in retirement. That includes things like health insurance. So as you transition from, your workplace health insurance to then, say, for example, Medicare insurance. Well, who pays for that? How much is that? And who's that IRMA person that might be taking two or three times of what seems like normal Medicare premiums just because your income level exceeds a certain threshold? It could also be long-term care needs, inflation, emergency types of expenses. It goes on and on. It's all part of or should be part of your income plan. Greg?
1: I'm thinking Irma, excuse me, was a, was a hurricane name once upon a time, and, and how fitting is that? It blows right in and adds layers of additional expense, making your living more expensive just because you have, you have a certain income threshold. You've it's been successful.
0: an income-related Medicare adjustment to what you pay for your premiums, both for your Part B and also for your Part D premiums. There's just something wild about
1: a system that penalizes you for being successful. I can't quite figure that out. Don't think I ever will, but um,
0: it's just another form of a tax.
1: Sure enough. Well, thank you for sharing several of those elements because every one of those can represent another variable in the the layer cake of what is your real expense structure. Therefore, what are your uh, necessary income needs? And when you come in, please know, first of all, just, Contact us, call us, email us, team at Brown When you come in, the first appointment's all about you. We will take all of your information, fact and feeling finding. Find the facts about your situation, how you're invested, uh, what your risk tolerance is, how you feel about risk. We'll assign your buckets of money to job descriptions. We'll show you the analysis of the internal spreads, fees, margins, loads, and real costs, your total cost of investing, at what risk you're currently at versus what you should be at. We'll make all the recommendations that will get you better. You know, that can stay, that needs adjusted, that's got to go, it needs replaced, here's what to do. We will take that plan, develop the income plan, maximize social security and pension benefits, uh, your legacy and tax efficiency as a living benefit to save on taxes and in passing how to end well and leave it well uh, to people you love and cherish you care about. But in the meantime, we'll also apply a test for probability of success at different income levels based on some of these different variables of these inputs that James just has covered. We'll see what the probability of success is. If you get a high probability of it working out, that's a pretty good feeling to know that, you know, regardless of this or that happening markets misbehaving in different intervals, your expenses um, being expended in different intervals that you're going to be okay with a high probability. So we look forward to doing that with you. And when it comes to producing income off of your investment assets, What's your drawdown? What's your withdrawal rate? What is your withdrawal rule? What does that mean? Well, simply put, if you had a million dollars and you were taking 4% because you needed 40,000, you're off and going. 40,000 a year off that $1 million. But if the market pulled back by 20% and your investments, let's say, were reduced, and I'd like to think in the context of our clients that the market's down 30, that we're going to save you a lot of that downside through wise active selection and investments. But nonetheless, keeping it simple, a pullback of 20%, you're now at 800,000. If you take 4% of 800,000, that's 32,000 a year, right? Not 40. So if you needed 40 and you're going to stay true to your 4% rule, you're going to take uh, an 8,000 a year pay cut going into that second year. Now I'd rather see you take a three or 4% withdrawal rate that first year. Maybe it's 35, 40,000 and that works for you. And we'll just tee up and take that 35, 40,000 on down the road. And we'll let the market do it. it's good, it's bad, it's ugly, it's great, it's fun, it's fascinating, and it's wealth building over time. We'll keep you at a rate where we're confident our investments over 3, 7, uh, 10 uh, and, uh, years and the rest of your forever will marry up and line up with that rate to provide you the income you need. But all that will then be tested on probability. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you'll know with high probability and likelihood that you're going to succeed on purpose and not happenstance.
0: James, some thoughts yes let's on that 4% withdrawal rate let's go through a couple of assumptions because you know if you turn the word assume into a three syllable word that eh, maybe not such a good outcome so first of all the assumption is built on the blend that you have of overall equities to fixed or stocks to bonds so it assumes a 60 40 blend in your investments and that 100% of your assets need to be allocated to these market based investments so those are a couple of serious assumptions here that may not actually fit in your individual situation. It's kind of like this. Are you really willing to have all of your eggs in one basket, that proverbial stock market basket, if you will? So do you have the appropriate risk tolerance or you know, are you wired to really handle this type of market risk? That's, that's what we find more than anything else is that when the markets are doing well, didn't you know I want to be aggressive? and the markets are not doing so well, it's like, hey, didn't you know I'm conservative when the markets are not doing well? That's that's how the human emotion aspect of investing works, is we think we should already be in front of this by moving to something conservative before the market started declining.
1: Yeah, and there are ways to break up your money between different types of investments and asset classes. So if you were using, um, say, And this is based on some old rates. This is an example, though. Let's say that um, it used to be $750,000 at 4% would give you $30,000. And and that would be true if the rule of four was still valid. We have more recent studies that say you really shouldn't bank on a 4% withdrawal rate. It's um, Wall Street, Morningstar, objectively researched, studied, and said, you know what, the old 4% is now 2.8%. Which would mean you need more, like uh, not seven hundred fifty thousand to get thirty thousand at two point eight percent. You need more, like just over a million dollars. That's a pretty big difference, and then what you might have planned for when you were planning to save seven hundred fifty thousand and find out as you enter retirement that to get the thirty thousand a year reliably over the long term, that you need about two hundred fifty thousand more. That you got to pull out of a hat like a rabbit. That's not how it works. Or print it in your basement on one of those high resolution color printers. You know what I'm talking about. Don't do that at home, right? So we need to plan up front. So there are some options. There are some fixed index annuities that you could take five hundred and fifty-five thousand of seven hundred and fifty, dedicate towards income and get a guaranteed paycheck for life for both of your both of your forever's. So if that's what you needed for income on top of Social Security, you just now got it. It's reliable. It's insured based on claims paying ability of an insurance company, but guaranteed for your lifetime. So if you had seven hundred and fifty and you just dedicated five hundred fifty five thousand for the income purpose, the rest of your money can be invested well, goodness, it could be invested in all equities because you don't have dependency on that part of the money. But talking along those lines, just talking about uh, some alternatives, we have some boutique type investments that can give you, um, just run through quickly, the lesser of performing the S&P 500 or the Dow over two years. In this case, yeah, two years, you could get upwards of 43% as a cap and it would absorb the first 10% of the downside. There are so many Options that you don't get from Wall Street because we're Main Street working with Main Street. We work for you. We work for clients, not companies.
0: And on the market-based approach for an income portfolio, there's our designed income portfolio that really has such a fantastic opportunity to yield a much higher result than, say, a fixed annuity. But it also is designed to not deplete your, your nest egg.
1: Absolutely. so there's
0: just more, so much more to learn. Our phone number at is office, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. Now, on behalf of Greg, myself, James, we want to thank you for listening today. Have a great week. And remember this, sound money, where good things are believable, achievable, and true for you.